Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome back to another episode of History for Weirdos. This is episode number 68. Yes, and we're always happy to be back. And that's it. That's it. Yes, that's right. That's the show. That's the show, guys. No. (laughs) No, we are kidding. Um, Just before Andrew gets started with the awesome episode that I know he has planned for us today... I want to encourage you all, if you haven't already, to follow us on Instagram. We know a ton of you have started to do so, and that is the best place to keep up with us. That's where we will share updates um, about the podcast or anything cool with us that's going on. And you can follow us at History for Weirdos on Instagram. Easy enough. Easy enough. Oh, yeah. And before we, I go into my episode this mm-hmm. week, I actually did want to share one thing really quickly. Oh, what? So I got some feedback, apparently, that uh, my laugh is really loud on this oh. audio. So I'm going to be trying my best when I laugh to oh. kind of dial it back a little bit. So... Wait. Let me say something. <laughs> yeah, please. Andrew has a very loud, very distinct laugh. This is true. It's kind of like... A dolphin is what I've always thought <laughs> oh of it as. It reminds God. me of a dolphin could laugh. I love your laugh. <laughs> Thank you. I promise, weirdos, it's very joyous to experience in person. He has an extremely contagious laugh. But I could see how maybe if it's ringing in your ears, yeah. if you've got earbuds in. Exactly. If I'm like making your ears bleed, you might not find it as pleasant. Oh, I always find it pleasant. (laughs) I know. I love how you have to defend me a little bit. I just wanted to defend you just a little bit because I think I actually, ew, it's like I like you or something. I actually think that having a a very like distinct laugh is a very attractive quality in a person. It's very charismatic. Oh my gosh. It's like we should get married or something. No thanks. I'm okay. Okay. Well, I shot my shot. Anyways. (laughs) Speaking of shooting my shot, um, <laughs> okay, I just laughed really loud. I like literally said I wouldn't laugh really loud and then I just did. But anyways, tell we're, us. we're going to go into one of the OG femme fatales from Eastern Europe. Ooh. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited about this episode because this woman was such just, and excuse my French, but she was such a badass. Ooh. And like... From a modern morality standpoint, which I don't judge historical characters, yeah. But from a modern historical uh, morality standpoint, excuse me, it not maybe not the best person, but yes. very nuanced. And we'll get into her full story. It's so interesting. Yeah. So I feel like the femme fatale trope, by the way, can be traced back at least to ancient Rome, if not further back. Oh yeah. Um, but this subject, I mean, she just turns up the dial to like past 11. <laughs> I mean, it is it like, it's nothing you've ever heard before. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. So not only was she someone whom you just generally would not want to cross ever. Mm-hmm. She also helped shape modern history. Ooh. And I'll get into that as well. So in today's episode, we will be discussing the absolute mad woman who was who history has remembered as Olga of Kiev. Ooh, 
Yes. I've never heard of Olga of Kiev. Olga of Kiev. Oh, it's, she is interesting. So before we jump right into her life, I feel like it's best just to give a little bit of context for the world that she inhabits. Yeah. So starting during the 9th century, this is the 800s AD, mm. a group of Vikings from Sweden settled along the area north of the Black Sea, I guess like far north of the Black Sea, um, in what is today Western Russia, mm. Belarus, and the Ukraine. Okay. Also, you know, possibly Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, just to be like fully comprehensive. Mm-hmm. These Vikings were really instrumental in trade, connecting Northern Europe to not only the Eastern Roman Empire, commonly known as the Byzantine Empire at this point in time, but the Middle East as well through the Basset Caliphate. Mm -hmm. Caliphate, excuse me. A specific group of Varangians settled and established the city of Novgorod. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Probably not. Probably not. It's a Russian city that still (laughs) exists to this day. The leader of this group was a chap by the name of Rurik, who would establish the aptly named Rurik dynasty. Wow, very very unique. Very unique, right? (laughs) This dynasty would stick around for centuries and even rule over the Tsardom of Russia much later on. Oh my gosh. Up until the late 16th century. Wow. So, you know, they, they stuck around for a bit. That's quite a dynasty. So, but going back to this guy, Rurik. Uh, and this group of people, they would be known as the Rus, specifically the mm. Kievan Rus, once Rurik's successor, Oleg, conquers the city of Kiev. Okay. So, and Kiev would eventually become their capital, hence the name the Kievan Rus. Okay. This makes sense so far. We've got Vikings. We've got the dude's name that I can't say. Rurik. Rurik. We've got yeah. the Rus. So they're all like one people. Yeah. So yeah, so the Varangians were Vikings <laughs> that settled in this area and they became known as the Rus. Yeah, I got that. That's exactly what I said. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kievan Rus would eventually make war against the Byzantine Romans like a half a dozen times at least. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the elite guard that protected the empire would eventually be made up of entirely of Varangians starting in like the 10th century. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be known as the Varangian Guard. Oh. I know, again, very unique name. Very innovative. Going out, innovative, going out on a limb. <laughs> exactly. So, I don't know. It's just, I even put in my notes here, like, I know, it's a stretch of a name. <laughs> so, to wrap up our little backstory here, um, just remember that although you might not know a whole lot about the Rus, yeah. which is fine, by the way, because I didn't actually know a whole lot about them before this episode, um, just know that they were incredibly important uh, part of like power politics during this portion of medieval history. Okay. So not just like in Europe, but like in the Middle East as well. Okay. I mean, even kind of going into North Africa. I mean, they were a big portion. So let's get just right into our subject for today. Olga Kiev. So she was born sometime during a 35-year period between oh. 890 and 925. Oh my god, that's a huge gap. <laughs> yes. Records were not very good at this portion of time in this area. Wow. I mean, unsurprisingly. We, I will say, and I, I go into this more in detail a little bit later, but modern historians think it's it's more on the latter end of okay. that. Like, closer to 925. Okay. So, and, you know, again, due to these lack of records, though, we essentially know diddly about her early life. Besides the fact that she was born in the city of Pleskov in modern-day Russia. And in around 940, we she wed Igor, the son of Rurik, that guy I mentioned earlier, 
and they had a son, Sviat. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I know Sviatoslav. Sviatoslav. Let me see. Sviatoslav. That sounds right to me. Sviatoslav. Yeah. Any yeah. Russian yeah. weirdos out there? You can tell us how to actually pronounce all the things. I know it's interesting because like the Rus event, like Belarus, Russia, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's how that they got their names, right? Yeah. So it's interesting because, anyways, like they were um, they ruled over Slavic peoples, but they were themselves like Nordic. Yeah. But anyways, um, during the time they were married, Igor would go on to raid Constantinople, you know. No, no big deal. <laughs> twice, as a matter of fact. Oh my gosh. Once in 941 and then a second time in 944. I only mention this for two reasons. It's not really important for Olga, but it's important for kind of like the main story arc. One, the Byzantine Roman fleet that would go on to defeat Igor in the Kievan Rus. Uh, despite having a majority of their fleet in the Mediterranean fighting actually Arab forces during this time, used Greek fire. Oh my gosh, and that's another episode of History for Weirdos. Yes, as a matter of fact, it was episode number 13, What the Heck is Greek Fire? So if you haven't listened to it, uh, I highly recommend you do so after this episode. Yes, it'll definitely be worth the listen. It's a really interesting subject. Yeah, super interesting. I think it goes way back in our catalog. We're biased, though, on thinking that it's interesting. It's our (laughs) podcast episode. I think so, yeah. (laughs) So during the peace treaty, and also the second reason why I bring this up, during the peace treaty between the Byzantine Romans, led by Constantine VII, he's important later on as well, and the Kievan Rus, Mm -hmm. led by, of course, Prince Igor, a portion of the Kievan nobility promised to abide by terms during this peace accord, pledging their honor to the Norse pagan gods, unsurprisingly yeah but there was another portion that would invoke the christian god oh yeah so we can surmise that already at this point in time christianity is really starting to take hold within the kievan rus nobility and we can also maybe surmise that this translates at least a little bit to the common folk as well yeah that's me going out on a limb but it's i think an an easy assumption to make i always think it's so interesting the in different parts of the world that that overlapping time period of paganism and Christianity. Oh, yeah. With the Vikings especially, it's so interesting. So much tension there, culturally. Oh, yeah. So, and this is really important for later on, so just keep this in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. So, Igor, he comes back and already has to subdue a rebel tribe of Slavs located in the eastern portion of the Kievan Rus' domain uh, called the Drevlians. Mm Mm-hmm. So some sources even mentioned that they were present along with at least one of the Kievan Rus' attack on Constantinople. So for whatever reason, though, they had stopped paying tribute to Igor. Okay. And um, that just makes him mad. Yeah. Clearly, right? I would think so. (laughs) Igor marches into Drevlian territory in 945 with a much larger force. And the Drevlians decide, you know what, we're going to accept Igor's... uh, terms of payment right Mm -hmm. so they give him his his ransom essentially Mm -hmm. um initially he's satisfied with this and he starts matching marching back to kiev and it's here he makes a really strategically dumb and ultimately fatal mistake Ooh, igor igor i know he excuses the majority of his army and marches back to the drevlians with a far smaller contingent of his army to demand even more tribute what? I know. I'm like, my God. He goes back 
with he, less muscle. Yes, and he's like, I want even more now. To demand more. Correct. So why would he do this? Yeah. Greed? I don't know. We No one knows. No one knows? It's never mentioned in any of the sources that we have today. It's, fr- it's very frustrating. Because that doesn't make any... Like, if you're going to run the risk of demanding more, you obviously go and get a bigger army. Right. Or, or at the very least, the keep army. the same size. Yeah, and I don't understand why he's like, you know what, this is good. We And he starts marching back, and then he's like, nah, never mind. I just don't this get it. This is so, so strange. It's very odd. What a mystery. It is. We do know that he was pretty quickly murdered, though. Yeah. Um, so Byzantine Roman historian known to us as Leo the Deacon. I love, by the way, the historians at this point in time, they have like these names, like Leo the Deacon. Yeah, they have like titles. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. So he recounts what happens to him. So uh, according to him, he apparently was initially captured tied between two bent trees and then essentially ripped apart when the oh. trees snapped back into place. I've heard of that. Yes. Interesting you've heard of that because this account it has been deemed questionable because it is eerily similar to how Theseus, who was a mythical founder of Athens, killed a Corinthian bandit. Oh my like God, ancient, is that where I've times. heard of that? Yes, absolutely. That's, that is where you've heard of it. Oh my gosh. So they're thinking, no, that's probably, like, he was murdered, but that's probably not it. That's correct. We this think- is to add some romance to the story. It- Romance is an interesting uh, adjective. No, yes. not like lo- like romantic love romance, but this like romantic hero image. Yeah, no, no, I know what you meant. It just, <laughs> it's just really funny hearing romance with murder. <laughs> or is it? Or is it? <laughs> so, however Igor was killed, um, he was dead in 945, and his son was only three years old at the time. Oh. So obviously too young to rule. Mm-hmm. So Olga had to step up and essentially just take command of the situation. Always so interesting when that happens. And a lot of modern estimates say that she's only around 20 years old at this point. Oh my gosh. So, she's like a baby. Yeah, exactly. So Alexei Karpov, who was who is a uh, Russian um, historian, suggests that she was only 15 years old when she married. So this timeline would add up. Oh my gosh. So she's gosh. roughly 20 years old at this point, at least according to modern historians. Yeah. Again, we don't know this definitively, but it's a really good, like, estimated guess she's young or estimation right so olga the femme fatale she's gonna come into full force now and it's just the beginning (laughs) so first off she was the first female ruler of the kievan rus um being a regent to her son yeah that's not surprising this was a big deal but remember they had viking ancestry so their society was a little bit more egalitarian than other societies at the time Mm -hmm. um not trying to diminish that she couldn't hold on to power because but I'm just saying that to give a little bit of context. And regardless, though, it is a really big deal as, like, the Kevin Roos was a, mainly a patriarchal society at this mm-hmm. point in time. Um, she was a tough woman, all mm-hmm. this to say. So You had to be. You absolutely. I mean, yeah. they're I mean, Vikings. Like, you had to be. Yeah. So, for whatever reason, the Drevlians thought that they could boss Olga around. Their mm. leader, a guy by the name of Prince Maul, I have nothing... Like Darth Maul? It's M-A-L. Oh. So Mal. <laughs> okay. But I just, I don't know, for some reason I thought it's pronounced Maul. But anyways, <laughs> he, he wanted to marry the the widow and add the Kievan Rus' territory to his own. <sighs> so. <laughs> Dude. I know. I'm Dude. like. 
Not Anyways, the time. <laughs> he sent 20 negotiators to, to Kiev to deliver the message. So according to the narrative also, it's a, with these 20 negotiators that she also receives the news of her husband's death. Oh my so God. she receives the news that your husband is dead. Now you got to marry his murderer. Oh my, the audacity of men. The, the, I, I even literally put the absolute gall, honestly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I, you know, again, like I describe, you know, or avoid describing modern uh, sense of morality to history, but I mean, geez, like, come on. Like, I feel like that's just, this is much by, even by medieval standards, even by medieval standards, I'd say this is rude. This is pretty rude. <laughs> At the very least. I mean, probably not unheard of, but it's yeah. still, you're, you're going on a limb here. So anyways, our girl, Olga, mm-hmm. she plays it cool. Yeah. So she apparently delivers this message to the messengers. And this is, of course, translated to English because I don't speak, you know, Old Norse. So your proposal <laughs> to me indeed, uh, or is pleasing to me indeed. My husband cannot rise again from the dead, but a desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you tomorrow, and you shall say, quote, We will not ride on horses, nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat, end quote. And you shall be carried in your boat. I don't get what she's saying. <laughs> yeah, she's ba- essentially, she's just saying, go back to your boat, yeah. chill there, and then, like, when you come back in the morning, just say, like, like to the people around you, carry us on, on our boat. Okay. Um, okay, so she's just giving instructions. Exactly. Olga had a flair for the theatrical. Okay, we love that. We love that. So elated that the Drevlin ambassadors, or elated, um, excuse me, these ambassadors, mm-hmm. they returned the next morning and waited outside of court. So they repeated the words to the Rus people, and they indeed carried them on the boat oh my to gosh. court. You know, and these, these ambassadors are like, oh, we're having a great time. They thought, you know, like... You know how, like, really fancy people back in the day got carried in in, in litters? That's yes. what they thought was happening. Yes. So they thought this was a massive this honor. A, yeah, big honor. It's a big, like, like it's showmanship. Right. Mm-hmm. So they thought. The night before, or during the night, Olga had secretly ordered a large ditch to be dug. Oh, my gosh. So when the unsuspecting Drevlians arrived being carried in their boats... They were dropped into this ditch and started to be buried alive. Oh my gosh. So apparently during when this is happening, Olga kneeled down, stared at the men, and asked whether they found the honor to their liking. Oh wow. They screamed up that this was worse than that what had happened to her husband, but she did not relent. She didn't even bat an eyelash. Cold as ice. Wow. And this is a possibly 20-year-old widow. Like, she just found out that she's a widow. Exactly. She has all this responsibility, and she's coming out swinging. She's coming out swinging, and it's only the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. So, she sent a request for the Drevlians to send more, like, distinguished ambassadors to Kiev so that she could be greeted by Prince Mal with honor. And it's important to note that at this point, the Drevlians were unaware of the massacre that had already taken place okay so she's like you know what like these ambassadors weren't good enough send like essentially chieftains to me now Uh and so that i can like come back like looking really good yeah (laughs) so prince mal sent a group of highly decorated chieftains to kiev to accompany her back to drevlian territory 
So they arrived in Kiev, and under the guise of hospitality, she offered that they take baths in a bathhouse after their long journey, right? How nice. Oh, yeah, thank you. How nice. It's been a long journey. Who doesn't love a good bath? Right, exactly. So they entered the bathhouse never to exit. Oh, my gosh. So the doors were barred, closed, and she lit the building on fire. Oh, my God. She did not pull punches at all, ever. So already, um, ambassadors and high-ranking Javelins had been ruthlessly killed, right? But she wasn't even close to being done yet. She sends another message to Prince Mal saying that she wants to visit the city of Iskorosten, mm-hmm. which is today Korosten, um, and pay respects to her late husband and weep over his grave. Mm-hmm. Sounds um, like a very respectful wife thing to do. Right, exactly. Yeah. And no one's suspecting otherwise. Yeah. And again, they still don't know what's happened to these folks. Yes. So in her own words, she wanted to, she gave the orders to prepare great qualities or quantities of mead in the city where you killed my husband that i may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him yeah basically she's like telling drevlians get ready to party i was about to say yeah yeah get ready to party like a like a wake exactly Uh and so she did go to the city and weep over the tomb of her husband and i can only imagine like at this point like she must have had some words like hey just like if you're from the beyond, like watch this. It's gonna be lit. <laughs> to her fam. husband? Yeah. That's sweet. Exactly. That's I mean, in my mind, <laughs> that's... that's what happened. Obviously, no one knows, but we do know that she did go visit the tomb. So the feast begins, and everyone is having just like a merry time. And after a while, most of the Drevlians get just like incredibly wasted. Mm-hmm. So this is when Olga orders her men to pull her swords and just go on a killing spree. Because oh, wow. they hadn't been drinking, you know, at least she probably, that's what I think. Yeah, she probably ordered them to, like, stay sober. Maybe look like you're drinking, but don't drink. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is just, like, just wasted, essentially. So that night, 5,000 Drevlians were apparently killed. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, she doesn't pull punches. This sounds like uh, she would be a George R.R. R. Martin character. I know. This is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Like, if you were to write a character like this, like, I think people would be like, that's absurd. She sounds like she'd be in Game of Thrones, like that universe, or in the Vikings universe. The yeah. show Vikings. Right, because that's, it's pretty, like, historically inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> it basically yeah. is fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, at this point, you think she's, like, she's, like, decimated the Drevlians, right? They're not mm-hmm. completely gone, but you think, like, she's made her mark, right? Yeah, she's done, like, three nice mass killings. Right. Wrong. She's not done. Oh, my gosh. Olga. <laughs> so, after returning to Kiev, she quickly raises an army and returns to the city of Eskorosten. I love saying that now. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably saying it wrong, but, like... But it's fun to it's say. It's fun to say. Mm-hmm. So there was apparently a quick pitched battle between, you know, whatever army the Drevlians could muster and the Kievan Rus, but Ogle's forces prevailed pretty quickly on. There's, uh, there isn't even, like, any mention of, like, what happened during the battle. Okay. It, was, it must have been so quick. Yeah. So the surviving Drevlians retreated to the safety behind the walls of their city, and Olga and her army would essentially siege the city starting then. Mm-hmm. The siege lasted an entire year. Oh, that's a long time. Before Olga came up with just a dastardly brilliant plan. Ooh, but that's a really long work trip. That is. Yeah, a A year. year? That's a long time. So after the city begged that they would pay just any tribute she wanted, Mm -hmm. right? 
she feigned acquiescence and gave the relatively small price of birds. Okay. Yes, and you heard that correctly. She demanded (laughs) that they pay her three pigeons and three sparrows from each house in the city. I feel like they should have been suspicious of this request, but okay. I think they were so desperate, they're just like, Sure, sure, you want the birds? We'll give you the birds. So the denizens of the city just gladly pay the tribute, right? Mm -hmm. And they're probably pretty pleased that they got off so, like, easily. Maybe too. Too, yeah. Easily. And boy, were they wrong. And were, are you right, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Always. Always. (laughs) So Olga had her men tie sulfur and small pieces of cloth to each of the birds. Okay. At nightfall, she told her soldiers to set the, the pieces of cloth aflame. Okay. And release the birds. So the birds returned to their nests within the city, which which were like located in, in like the upper portions of hat of houses where it's yes. like thatched roof and like wood. Yeah, you see that even in cities today. Exactly, it set the entire city ablaze, essentially burning almost everything to the ground. Oh my god! It was impossible to put out the fires because again, every single building was on, on like was ablaze. So as People just fled the burning city. Like, I mean, most people were just fleeing. So, uh, Olga ordered her soldiers to catch them, killing a lot of them, but enslaving, I think, most of them and giving them to their followers. Like, the re- whatever was left in the city had to pay a ransom. Okay, so obviously I don't, like, <laughs> condone what she did, but it was really creative. It's badass. Like, she was insanely brilliant. That's really creative warfare. Yeah. Thinking outside the box. Definitely in another lifetime, Olga of Kiev would have been a theater major. (laughs) (laughs) Try not to laugh super hard, guys. But that is really funny. Absolutely. She is very theatrical. Yeah, theater major with a flair for violence. With a flair for violence. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. So, now that the Drevlin capital had been razed to the ground... Virtually all of its inhabitants either killed or enslaved. Olga's fury was finally satiated. That's good. I mean, I don't. I feel like at that point there's nothing more to do. You know, like she just destroyed everything about them. So, the pro the story is approaching its end, but it's not over. So remember how I mentioned that she helped shape modern history? Yes. We're gonna get into that. First off. She helps, like, on, you know, on the, on the lesser end, which is still impressive, she helps set some of the first ever, like, legal reforms in Eastern Europe ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. So including setting up trading posts all over her empire, as well as setting up a system of centralized administration, including reforms on the Rus tributary system. Oh my gosh. So she's a creative, like, idea person and kind of like a systems organized person? Yeah. An executioner. That's beautiful. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, ha ha ha, murder. Ha ha ha, Those are, died. <laughs> those are yeah. very um, good skills to like have at once. I don't have all those skills, so yeah. I Especially admire if that. If you're like a medieval ruler. Yeah. If you're a medieval ruler, that's pretty good. Yeah. And secondly, and more importantly, was her conversion to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling that was coming in. Right. So she was a pagan. And and remember when I said to remember that some of the Kiev and Rus elites were Christian earlier? Well, now you know. Mm-hmm. So she was invited by Emperor Constantine VII to Constantinople, the same uh, emperor that I mentioned earlier yes. in the episode. Mm-hmm. 
So the emperor apparently offered his hand in marriage, uh, which would have made her the empress of the Romans. Boo! She turned him down, yeah. saying that she was a pagan. To remedy this, Constantine was like, okay, I'll baptize you. Damn and it. he <laughs> did, and named her a Helena. <gasps> yes. It's ironic because the Roman emperor, Constantine I, who ruled, you know, roughly 600 years earlier, yes. his mom was named Helena. Yeah. Weird. That's and weird. Even it's a weird more ironically, play. after the baptism, uh, he proposed to now Helena, and she replied that technically he was Constantine's daughter by faith um, as he had baptized her, so this, was, this would have been an incestuous marriage, and it would be a sin to marry him. Wow. Again with the creative thinking. I know, right? I love that. <laughs> so in a, it's funny, though, it's because, yeah, and also just to, to mention earlier, Constantine I, not to be confused with this Constantine VII in our story, he would be the first Roman emperor to Christianize. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm pretty sure he became a saint. Uh, but his mother, Helena. She's a very famous saint. Yeah, she obviously became a saint as well. Yeah. So, I mean, but going back to now our Olga slash Helena. Yeah. She was just like as shrewd as they came. Yeah. So apparently Constantine the seventh. Yeah. Wasn't even a mad about this. He was actually just really impressed at how smart she was. And so he sent her off with like a bunch of gold and silver. So Yay! he was still like simping over her. Yeah. He was still like, wow, <laughs> she's so cool. So cool. I know. I was like, man, this woman is really dope. Yeah. She, she's obviously I an mean, extremely impressive person. Dope. You know, you know, she, yeah, did she commit genocide and everything? Yeah. yeah, but she's still pretty dope, too. Right. Anyways, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> so, she would spend, like, the rest of her life championing Christianity. So, mm. um, at, at least, at, there was at least some part of her that, like, actually really believed in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, she was largely responsible for converting many of the Kievan Rus to the religion. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't be completely successful. I think most people were still pagans, but mm-hmm. still like a good amount of people converted. So ultimately she would die uh, in 969 of an illness at like an unknown age. But again, if she had married when she was 15, she would only have been around like 44 or 45. Really young. So super young. So even though she is, is now dead, her story actually isn't even over. Okay, interesting. So, although her son, ironically, would never convert to Christianity, he remained a pagan for the rest of his life, he was tolerant of the religion in his empire, and he never persecuted Christians. I would... In honor of his mom. Yeah, Yeah. I would hope not. However, you know, his son and Olga slash Helena's grandson, Uh uh, Vladimir the Great... You know, whenever, you know, someone's known as the great, you know, they usually usually do some big stuff. Yeah. So he would end up converting the whole of the Kievan Rus uh, people to Christianity, making it kind of like the state religion and all that good stuff. Uh, Essentially, you know, finishing off what Olga Helena started, you know, and this all started in 988 when he himself converted. Wow. Yeah. She had quite a legacy. She had quite a legacy. It's not done. We're going to fast forward a few centuries to 1547. Okay. So Olga now has been dead for almost 600 years. Wow. And the Russian Orthodox Church canonized Olga as St. Helena. Oh my gosh. And was given the epithet equal to the apostles. Wow. That's a very, very big praise right there. That's a huge praise. And she's highly revered in Ukraine today as the patron saint of widows and converts. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. Yeah. 
Very interesting. And that's also, I think, you know, in the backdrop of what's going on in Ukraine with the Russian invasion, mm-hmm. I think there is, I think they, they have, I mean, again, I don't know this personally, but I can only imagine that like, you know, Olga, Helena is probably very present in their minds, especially due to her, mm. their, her revenge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But not, I'm not going to go into that too much. Um, but that's so interesting that to think, and, and this is, something you learn going to catholic school is so many saints have these very non-saintly pasts right um and the concept here would be once she's baptized she's forgiven Mm -hmm. for all of those things that she did i just think it's so fascinating yeah think of like oh yeah she's the patron saint of widows and converts and she's also like a mass murderer (laughs) yeah exactly so interesting so stephanie and dear weirdos let me ask you the question was Olga slash St. Helena a saint or a sinner? Oh my gosh, we were getting to the same idea. Yeah, I know. There's some saying. Not to be too cheesy, right? Yeah, there's some saying, and I don't, I don't know if it's an AA saying or like a Catholic saying, but something along the lines of like, um, every saint was once a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and every sinner can be a saint or something like oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. And that definitely makes me think of Olga slash Helena. Yeah. You know, I think it's also super interesting, too, because there are a lot of parallels between her and Constantine the I, the mm. first Roman, you know, Christian emperor. Wow. Christian Roman emperor. Yeah. There we go. I mixed the two words. You know, I think there was an element of they were doing this strategically. Yes. And because they saw how the tides were turning. Yes. And... They're very good at politics. Right. I think she was incredibly gifted in power politics, just as Constantine was. But I also think there was an element of... they. I think they also kind of believed it. Yeah. Again, this was, you know, Constantine's is, you know, approaching 2,000 years ago. Olga is over a hundred... Or over a thousand years ago. So there's no way we can know for certain. Right. But that's just kind of the... <laughs> For lack of a better term, the vibe I get from them. Yeah, from what we know of their actions. Yes. There seems to be a level of sincerity. I think so. But it definitely, for both, you're right, is definitely driven by uh, political power. Right. And I think with Constantine, you know, the empire was becoming more and more Christian. And mm-hmm. he just thought that's probably the way it is. He wants to have power. There he goes. And then with with um, Olga, I think they're, it's similar. But then also like the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantines... They were very powerful, and he, she didn't want to make an enemy of them. Yes. And so, if they want, if they could be allies, that would be. But she didn't want to give up her power yes. by marrying him. So it's like, oh, it's kind of this like middle way. Yes, it's definitely. I mean, bruising a man's ego is a very easy way to make an enemy. <laughs> right. And I could, t- but also, if she gives in, then like you said, she loses her power that she's been enjoying. Exactly. It's so so smart of her to yeah. have made this move. Yeah, I, I, I think she's a nuanced character, and I, totally. I love nuanced characters, right? But I think she was also, you know, pretty badass in the way, and not, and that's kind of like a good way and a bad way. She's a, a yeah. weirdo in, in, in the sense that In every she's, sense. Yeah, in every sense of the word. <laughs> in every sense. I, I, I love her as a historical figure. Yes, I had never, ever heard of her. Yeah. So thank you so much. The, for some reason, we, like, Vikings are really big in popular culture right yes but first but the kievan Rus, the eastern contingent just really isn't and i don't and it's kind of shocking to me 
Yeah. And so, like, I'd it'd be nice to hear more of their stories come about. Yes. And this is, she's probably one of the most famous ones, but I definitely wanted to highlight her, so I'm glad you liked it. I loved it. So, sources for the episode, I actually had a primary source, um, and it was really, really hard to read. So, it was, it was the, <laughs> the Russian primary chronicle, the Laurentian text. It was translated and edited by Samuel Hazard Cross and Olgerd P. Sherbowitz Wetzer. Wow. That was a mouthful. And also, there was the collector.com, which actually had really, really well done articles. Um, all that is interesting. History answers. DOWYM.com. I don't know how to say that. Encyclopedia Britannica, theconversation.com, and of course, Wikipedia. You know, all that is interesting has been a really good source for me as well. Yeah, I really like them. Yeah. They're really. Like, usually shorter articles, but, like, yes. really, like, good. Yeah, like, they get the highlights in. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I kind of, like, like to cross-reference, like, yes. my story with, like, oh, like, am I hitting at least all the, the main points? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you again for telling us the story of Olga of Kiev. And thank you, weirdos, for listening to another episode of History for Weirdos. You know the drill. You know, like the things... <laughs> share the things what is it rate review subscribe yes. there we go i know yeah, how to do this yeah. and also i just want to mention i don't know if I, I said this but because of you guys we were the like in the top one percent of shared podcast um you know according to spotify this year thank in the you, entire weirdos. world so thank you guys yes so you are listening to me ramble about this at the end <laughs> of the podcast thank you so much keep helping our community to grow and we will be back next week until next week, guys. Adios. Bye.